Hey everyone, it's Ryan here with Cardinal Aviation. Welcome to episode 18 of the Audio Briefings. This is going to be part two of a three-part series on crossing the border. So if you didn't hear it, go ahead and go back to episode number 17, where we talked about just some of the general rules that apply to border crossings, both southbound and northbound, as well as overflights. So if you're going to be flying across the border and you're not going to be landing in the country other than the one you took off from. But before we get on to part two, which is going to be all about flying from Canada into the United States, and I'm going to walk you through how I would go about that and what a flight would look like, I just want to answer a question that came up after the previous episode, part one of this Crossing Border series. And the question came from Simon. And Simon asked, uh, and this is specific to the West Coast, where uh, a flight from, let's say, uh, Vancouver's Boundary Bay Airport to Victoria Airport while you're flying from Canada to Canada, it actually traverses a section of U.S. airspace. So you actually cross the United States border twice on your way across the water to Victoria. Now, that airspace is designated to Canadian control. So you're talking to Canadian air traffic controllers the whole time, but you are crossing the international boundaries. So Simon asked, well, what about that? What do I do? And if you go ahead and listen to the previous episode, all the rules that applied to overflights apply to that flight. Now, I'll be honest with you, there are some people that do not file a flight plan for that flight, but really you should because one, it's about 25 miles, give or take, and two, you are crossing the international boundary, even if you are talking to a Canadian controller. So if you are flying from Boundary Bay to Victoria, or if you're going to go do a sightseeing flight over Niagara Falls where you will cross the international boundary, or I know there's some areas uh, in the Maritimes in Quebec where you may cross a section of the United States en route from a place in Canada to another place in Canada, the three things still apply. Get a flight plan, make sure it's activated, be on a discrete transponder code, and where possible be talking to air traffic control as you're crossing the border. Okay, so that's going to answer that question, hopefully clear up a little bit of gray area. Yes, it is still required to do the three things if you are flying from Canada to Canada and will clip or cross a piece of United States airspace. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about what a flight would look like from Canada to the United States. Now we're talking an actual flight where we are taking off in Canada, we are going to land in the United States, we're going to do the whole customs thing, and then we'll be going onward to somewhere else in the US or maybe just staying where we're at. So this process starts at home. And like we talked about in the previous episode, I'm not going to belabor it, but you need to have your DTOPS decal or decal, however you want to say it. You need to have your passport. And now we're going to introduce EAPIS. So you need to go online and set up an EAPIS account, E-A-P-I-S. And that's through Customs and Border Protection, the Department of Homeland Security, whichever it is. It's a horrible website. It's brutal to work, but it is a necessary evil of flying across the border both directions, but this is an American thing. And EAPIS is where you're going to put in all the ownership information for your aircraft, all your personal information as the flight crew member, as well as all the passport information for both yourself and your passengers. Uh, the EAPIS system is a bit cumbersome, takes some messing around with. Now, once you have an EAPIS account, you can either interface with the EAPIS website or there's a great service called FlashPass 
Uh, it's either $10 per use or $60 for the year, and it makes filing EAPIS reports a breeze. And I highly recommend it. It's If you value your time or put any value on your time, uh, it's well worth the money. So have a look at FlashPass, but set up an EAPIS account first. So I'm at home. I've got my uh, transborder detops decal or decal on the airplane already. Uh, I need to know that decal number for when I do my EAPIS, okay? I file my EAPIS, and this is going to be an arrival EAPIS into the United States, and it's going to specify where we're landing, what time, and that is going to be transmitted to that customs officer. Make sure that everything that you input into EAPIS, from the spelling of names to birthdays to passport numbers, is letter for letter, number for number, exactly as it appears on the official document. I can tell you right now, the fine uh, for an error in your EAPIS or non-compliance starts around $5,000. So make sure everything is correct. So I'm at home, got DTOPS, I filed my EAPIS, I've checked my weather, I've checked my NOTAMs. Make sure you look for TFRs or temporary flight restrictions. These are common in the United States. If there's a VIP movement, a government official, uh, a high profile sporting event, a concert, uh, you name it check for TFRs because you do not want to be busting TFRs. Okay, so we've done all that flight planning. Uh, now we're headed to the airport. On my way to the airport, I'm going to give it 10, 15, 20 minutes. After I filed my EAPIS report, I'm going to call the customs officer at my airport of entry into the United States. And you will find that phone number in the AFD, which is the American version of the CFS, under the airport listings under airport remarks. So you're going to call the officer say, hey, it's, uh, you know, Ryan, I'm the pilot of Charlie Golf Alpha Bravo Charlie. I just want to verify that you received my EAPIS and that the time that I'm planning to come in is good for you. And the officer will either say, yeah, the time works or you guys will figure something out between the two of you. Make sure that you write down the name of that officer just in case there's any issues so that you know who you talk to. When you contact the officer and submit your EAPIS, you need to do this at least one hour prior to your arrival into the United States. So, going to keep rewinding and going forward. DTOPS, check. We've got our EAPIS filed, check. We've called the customs officer and got permission to proceed inbound at least an hour before arrival, check. Now we need to go file a VFR flight plan. And this is just going to be a standard ICAO VFR flight plan uh, departing your origin in Canada with a destination in the United States. When you arrive in the United States, you need to make sure that you call flight services uh, down there. I believe it's run by Lockheed Martin. Make sure you close that flight plan because Canada no longer carries alerting for you once you've crossed over the border. Okay, so we got our flight plan. Now, we get in the airplane, we've done all our walk around, we've done our pre-flight, engines are running, we're good to go. When we talk to air traffic control, uh, if it's at a controlled airport or flight service at an MF airport, or after we take off the FIC at a completely uh, uncontrolled airport, uh, we're going to make sure we get a transponder code. So uh, whatever transponder code ATC gives you, whatever transponder code the FIC gives you is the transponder code that you're going to want for crossing the border. So our flight plan has been opened and activated. We have our discrete transponder code. We are now approaching the border. As we're approaching the border, we want to try and get in touch with the air traffic control agency that controls the airspace around the border. And that could be center, it could be uh, approach or terminal or even a nearby tower, so long as there's a positive two-way voice communication between yourself and air traffic control crossing the border. The reason for this is because there are military professionals 
in Colorado Springs and North Bay with NORAD that are keeping an eye on the border and they need to be able to positively identify every aircraft that is flying across the border at a given time. So that's why we have the discrete transponder code, why we have the flight plan, and why we want to be in contact with air traffic control. So we've now officially crossed the border. Congratulations. Welcome to the United States. The rules aren't that much different down there. Go ahead, contact air traffic control for flight following or don't, it really doesn't matter, but keep that code that you had on departure just so everything is uh, copacetic and you're gonna be coming into your airport of entry. Now, contact ATC, uh, follow the instructions, land, it's just an airport, it's nothing too scary and if you're unsure, just ask and let them know that you need clarification on maybe a procedure that you're unfamiliar with or uh, local traffic pattern, but uh, everything is pretty standard. You're going to land. And when you land, you're going to taxi to the customs area. And every airport of entry has a designated customs area. And quite often it's either a sign that says U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Oftentimes they'll have a box painted on the apron that says customs on it. So you're going to taxi so that the aircraft is in that box, shut down the aircraft. Now, whatever you do, do not get out of the airplane. If it's hot out and you want to crack the door open, if you want to do that, go ahead, open the door, open the window. If you're going to have the door open, I highly recommend keeping your seatbelt on just so it's pretty obvious you haven't got out of the airplane. Now, be patient. Sometimes they're there right away. Sometimes it can take 10 minutes, but the customs officer will come out to you and greet you at the aircraft. Here's a quick pro tip. Before you take off, make sure that every person on board has their passport on their person. So it's not buried in the back in their, in their baggage. Uh, their passport is in their pocket. The customs officer from the United States will come out to the airplane and they're going to have this box with a handle and it kind of does this clicky beepy sound. Uh, it's a mandatory thing that they do. It's a Geiger counter and they're checking the aircraft for radiation or radioactive substances. Uh, if you're flying an older airplane that has uh, like glow in the dark text on the instruments, that can sometimes set it off a little bit. So make sure you let the customs officer know that you have, I think it's radon, I'm not sure, but whatever it is that makes your instruments glow, make sure you let them know that. So we're staying in the airplane until the officer invites us to get out of the airplane. In some customs clearance locations, they will just clear you at the airplane. They may ask you to take your bags out. They may inspect your bags. Uh, but in some locations, they'll just go over your paperwork. They'll check the passports at the aircraft itself. And in some locations, they may ask you to get out of the airplane and bring your belongings into their office. And it looks like a miniature customs hall that you would see at any international airport. In addition to your passports and personal belongings, they're also going to want to see the aircraft documents that we talked about in part one. So that's going to be your certificate of registration, your certificate of airworthiness, as well as your certificate of insurance. At which point they'll send you on your way. And now you're in the United States and you can operate as a domestic American flight for the rest of your trip. Keep in mind though, as we talked about in part one, that if you're in a Canadian aircraft, you are subject to the rules of your Canadian license, as well as the rules of the United States, since that is where you're flying and where those rules contradict, you're responsible for the one that is more restrictive. So here's an example of one. There's no requirement to file a flight plan in the United States for a VFR flight. However, Transport Canada requires that you file a flight plan anytime you are flying more than 25 miles from your uh, departure airport. So what do you do? Well, in this case, the Transport Canada rule is more restrictive. So legally, you 
should be filing a VFR flight plan for any flights in the U.S. that are more than 25 miles from your departure. There are some other rules to look at, um, and I'll, you guys are all grown adults and professional pilots, uh, professional general aviation pilots. Have a look at the oxygen requirements in the United States. Again, that is one of those ones that is more restrictive in Canada, so follow your Canadian rules for oxygen uh, for crew and passengers. One other thing that bears mentioning is how you select which airport you're going to clear customs at in the United States. Most of the customs clearance airports are relatively close to the border. However, there are some cases where uh, if you have an aircraft that is capable of flying three, four, five hundred miles, uh, for example, on the West Coast, you could fly all the way to San Francisco from Canada and clear customs there. I personally like to and highly recommend that people clear customs at an airport that is relatively close to the border. So on the West Coast here, stopping in Bellingham or Boeing Field, uh, to clear customs. And the reason for that is that once you've cleared customs, now you're a domestic flight. Now you can land whenever you like. If you don't like what the weather looks like, uh, if you have to use the washroom, uh, anything changes, you can divert all you want because now you are legally and officially in the United States. If you plan your customs arrival at an airport that is, you know, 400 miles south of the border, uh, I mean, in an emergency, you do what you need to do. You land the airplane, you look out for yourself, and you deal with the consequences later. Uh, but having cleared customs close to the border just really makes the pilot decision-making process that much easier. It opens up so many more options because we can use all the resources and all the airports that are along our route of flight should something pop up. All right, so you're in the United States. Uh, now you are free to go about uh, as you wish. There's no more customs requirements. That's all done. The hard part's out of the way. You can just go enjoy uh, your flight through the United States. Go check out some remote airports. Go check out some cities that you've never been to. One really cool thing about flying in the U.S. is one, if you like flight following, there's radar coverage pretty much everywhere. And the other really cool thing in the U.S. is there's airports everywhere. Good luck flying for 10, 20, 30 miles and not finding a runway somewhere. That said, just make sure you have your maps out because a lot of them are private runways. They may be restricted and keep an eye out also for military airspace. Uh, in the United States, they have MOAs and most of those MOAs for VFR aircraft, and this is kind of different than Canada, uh, you can at your own risk fly through them. Uh, but do not fly through active restricted military airspace that ends badly for everybody. And uh, another tip that I give everyone is if you have a second radio monitor one, two, one, five, because if something goes sideways and they're trying to get a hold of you, that is probably where they are going to reach out for you. Okay. So that is flying into the United States. It's not that complicated. You just got to make sure that you are accurate in your submissions. You get your EAPIS done. You talk to the customs officer. You have your DTOPS decal and you have an EAPIS account. And other than that, just fly your airplane as you normally would. Don't get out of the airplane until customs has shown up. And, uh, and yeah, I encourage you to go give it a shot. Um, if you're really uncomfortable, take somebody with you that's done it before. There's a lot of great flying to have to be had in the United States, especially if you're going somewhere like Sun and Fun or to Oshkosh or my favorite, the High Sierra Fly-In. That's my annual pilgrimage. And that involves border crossings in both directions. So don't let it scare you. Uh, airplanes are meant to travel. So use your airplane for what it was meant for and get out there. 
If you have any questions on this episode, so flying from Canada to the United States, go ahead and email me, info at cardinalaviation.ca or visit me online, www.cardinalaviation.ca and I'll be sure to answer those questions in the next episode. While you're here, make sure you go and subscribe to this podcast in Spotify or the Apple's iTunes store. And lastly, this podcast is brought to you by the Learn the Finer Points Ground School app. Jason Miller at Learn the Finer Points and his team have just put out a fantastic Ground School app. It's very uh, FAA American-centric, but like I said in the last episode, whether you're flying in Canada, the United States, or Zimbabwe, theory of flight doesn't change. How an airplane flies does not change. And it's a great app. There's a 30-minute free trial. You can click through it all you want and uh, check it out. It's a great way to do your ground school if you're getting a license, but it's also a great way for you to review what you should already know if you are a licensed pilot. All right, everyone, until next time, fly safely, never stop learning.